We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. A very strange and unusual thing has happened in my reading life in the last two months. I have read nine, yes, nine five-star books. That has never happened. I cannot even remember the last time that I've read so many five-star books in such a short time period. It's been dizzying, actually, in the very best way, because five of those books, the last five novels I have read, have been five-star reads. I don't even know what to say about that. I It feels like the best gift of the book gods that I can imagine. There are years that go by that I don't have nine five-star reads. And this feels even more notable, especially because I had a bunch of disappointing three-star reads in the first half of this year. I really was kind of in a reading rut at the beginning of 2021. I was not following the reading plan that I had talked about at the beginning of the year where I wanted to read backlist titles of authors I already loved. That was going to be my goal for 2021, but I did not do that. I found myself having a lot of concentration issues, a lot of, you know, just reading discontent. And so I reached for some of those buzzy bestsellers that everyone else was reading and raving about. And for the most part, they were only just okay for me. They were like, meh. I have a whole episode over on Secret Stuff. Secret Stuff is my private podcast on Patreon. I have a whole episode over there that I put out last week listing those meh bestsellers that I didn't like. Because if you're a longtime listener, you know that I don't love to pan books publicly. I just don't like the negativity of it. I don't like the karma of it. Now that I'm an author myself, especially, I just don't love knocking another piece of art unless there's a real good reason. But I also understand that there is immense value in talking about why books don't work for us. So I do always put my most honest reviews in my secret posts newsletter or now in a lengthier dialogue audio 
podcast episode like this one over as a secret stuff episode. That makes it a little more private, a little less Googleable when I'm saying how much I disliked a book. But today, we're not going to talk about books I disliked. We're going to talk about amazing books. We are going to talk about four and five star books. I'm not going to talk about every single one of the amazing books that I've read this summer for a few reasons. First, because a few of them I've already talked about at length. And so I want this episode to be, you know, fresh material. So if you want to hear me talk more about the meaning of Mariah Carey, that was a memoir I read in July that I loved. I've already covered that on Instagram. I feel like I've talked about that a bunch already. If you want to hear me talk more about the weight of memory, I did that with the author himself in July, Sean Smucker. That was episode 126. I loved that book. I loved that episode. And then two of the nonfiction books that have blown me away this summer, I love them so much that I am doing a book club with those books. The Happiness Equation by Neil Pasricha and The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. Those two books made such an impression that we are going to be reading those two over in the Secret Stuff book club in September and October. The Happiness Equation we're reading for September. The Art of Gathering we're reading for October, just before the holidays. And those things are upon us. So if you want to join the Secret Stuff book club, please do that. And speaking of the Secret Stuff book club, we have just concluded, just a few days ago, we finished the first annual Stephen King Summer Book Club. It has been my dream for a long time to have a book club dedicated to my favorite author, Stephen King. And we finally did it this summer with Stephen King Summer. We read three books. We watched their movie adaptations together. Carrie was the first one. We did that in June. In July, we read Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. And Misery was third for August. And as it turns out, Misery by Stephen King is one of those five-star books that's on my summer list of amazingness. But I've been talking so much about Misery for Stephen King's summer that I'm telling you right now, it's a five-star read. In fact, it's maybe going on my list for like best and favorites of all time. It is that good. But I'm not going to give it very many minutes today. There's a whole 90-minute discussion as part of Stephen King Book Club if you want to go listen to that. So if you'll notice all of these things that I'm not talking about here today when I talk about the wow books of the summer, it's because I'm talking about them somewhere else over on Secret Stuff, where there is book talk of some variety every single month, and there's a book selection and a meeting every single month. So if you want to join us at Secret Stuff, please go to 10thingstotellyou.com slash secretstuff to learn more and sign up. Quick word about signing up for Patreon. You are charged your monthly fee on the day you sign up, and then you're charged again on the first day of the month. So be mindful that you probably want to sign up from a financial standpoint earlier in the month and not later in the month to get the most bang for your buck. Okay, enough about all the books that I'm not talking about today because I'm so excited to share with you the books that I am talking about. And then after I give you my list, a bunch of listeners chimed in with their favorite books of the summer. And I always love hearing from you. So that is at the end of this episode. Thank you for all the listeners who sent in a little voice memo with their favorite books. It's so fun to hear those. I'm going to start with the book that I just finished 
like 48 hours ago. So it's fresh on my mind. And it was a total five-star read. And I can tell you right now, it is going to land on my best books of the year list. I can almost guarantee it, even though maybe I'm feeling that way because I just finished it. But it just blew me away. I cannot believe I didn't read it when everyone else was reading it and raving about it last year. This novel is Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. It came out last summer in 2020. It's about 300 pages. It is a gothic novel, gothic fiction, sometimes called gothic horror, which is not a thing that I read a ton of. But when I was like reading a little bit about that genre, I was like, oh, no, yeah, like I really love this genre, apparently. Because some of the authors that are, you know, considered classic Gothic novelists would be Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, one of my favorites of all time, Edgar Allan Poe, and then modern authors, the more famous ones might include like Anne Rice or, you got it, Stephen King. Now, I did not pick up Mexican Gothic when it was popular last summer. First of all, last summer was a super weird brain space for all kinds of things. And so I can imagine that possibly it just didn't appeal to me. But it has a great cover. It was getting a lot of raves. But I think it also maybe struck me as a little bit cheesy just before I started it. And it is that. Like, it is not realistic. (laughs) And gothic novels, I don't think, are ever very realistic, right? That There's like a horror element, a supernatural element, definitely a almost like Uh, I don't know if paranormal is the right word here, but it's not realistic in any way. And in some ways, I feel like even though the cover is beautiful, I felt like it was going to be like romance cheesy or something. Like it was going to be like that. It's not that. It is – I use the word cheesy in that it is very stylized. It's almost dated in the way that it's written because it's set in the 1950s. And so it feels – 1950s stylized in that way where like the main character Naomi is very proper and wants to wear like gloves and taffeta and you know there's just sort of a mentality there that is not modern and that comes out obviously in the story. The premise is that Naomi who is in Mexico City she receives a letter from her cousin who is just married and has moved out into the middle of nowhere, Mexico, in the country with her new husband, who is an Englishman, to their family home. And this letter that the cousin writes to our main character is sort of nonsensical and claiming that she's hearing voices and, you know, she seems very frantic and scared. And so Naomi heads out to check on her loved one out into the middle of nowhere, into this big crazy old English estate in the Mexican countryside, and then horror ensues. (laughs) Now, I guess I just had low expectations for this book. I started it because I had purchased it, and I was just trying to work through a to-read stack, and it felt like doable for the weekend or something because it was on the short side. I was absolutely immersed in this from the beginning. I liked the stylized dated, sparse, unreasonable premise of it all. Like I was all in on this book. The intensity was high. It was very visual. It, you know, talks a lot about like thematically, there's things about eternal evil and passing this down among 
ancestors, and there's religious imagery, there's some social commentary. There is, not to my usual taste, but there is some romance in this book of mostly darkness. And it was just like a really scary ghost story, but a great version of it. If you haven't picked this one up yet, this would be great to read in October as a Halloween fall style book. It would be great for book club, I feel like, because it seems just scrolling through the reviews that it's pretty polarizing. Some people really did not connect to not only the story, but the way that this was told. And I really did. It is like a grown up ghost story, which made it a page turner. And just as a reading experience, I just enjoyed myself reading this one. Like, I just thought it was fun and scary and clever and satisfying, ultimately, by the end. And so that is my very first five-star pick that I just finished, Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Now, if we are working backwards, and I guess maybe that is what we're doing, because that's just how I have these books listed here, but we're just going to work backwards into the summer, because right before I read Mexican Gothic... I read Billy Summers by Stephen King. Billy Summers just came out. It is Stephen King's latest. It just came out in the beginning of August. It is 500 pages. So it's, you know, a little bit more of a commitment. And I don't know that I would have read this one right, right off if it hadn't come highly recommended, only because I've been so immersed in Stephen King for Stephen King summer (laughs) for the last few months that I might have like taken a beat before I picked up Billy Summers. Stephen King is constantly releasing new books. Like every year, there's like at least one new release from Stephen King, it feels like. They are hit or miss for me. I don't love them all, especially in the last few years when he's been on a little bit of a crime sort of bent. He's writing a lot of crime things, cops and robbers and assassins, if you will. And I just haven't loved all of those. And so I certainly don't always like pre-order or pick them up release week. But Billy Summers came highly recommended. And so I bought it while I was at the lake. I pre-ordered it and then it arrived while we were at my lake house. And right when I started it, I started to get 112263 vibes. 112263 came out in 2012. It is a brick. It is literally almost 900 pages. But it is not only one of my very favorite books of all time, one of my favorite books by my favorite author, Stephen King. It is the book that I often point people towards who think they're too scared to read Stephen King. Now, I have obviously lots and lots of feelings about Mr. King, which you can hear in episode 121, Stephen King Starter Kit. But his book, 112263, that is so excellent, it is not horror. It is not scary. It's suspenseful. It's like a time travel novel that has lots of elements, romance and politics. And like, there's so much that's awesome that's happening in 112263, but it is not horror scary. And so I feel like I'm recommending it quite a bit, not just because... I love it, but because I think it, you know, is a good starter if you're up for this long of a book for reading and understanding his storytelling. But Billy Summers, back to Billy Summers, which came out in August, it has 112263 vibes. Now it's half the length almost, you know, it's not as robust (laughs) from a character standpoint or a plot standpoint, but the tone was just so similar to me. Billy Summers is an assassin. So yes, there is violence in this book. Quite a bit of violence. Not 
over the top and we're going to get to a book that was way over the top on that scale. But if you're a sensitive reader, obviously you're probably not going to want to read about an assassin. There's also some questionable, like I think he handles it okay, but there's some questionable sexual content in Billy Summers a little bit that I just wasn't quite sure where one of these relationships was going to go. And honestly, that's that's like kind of one of the greatest held tensions in the book. So there's a lot of crime. There's like a mob element and a hiding from the law, hiding from murderers. You know, there's that kind of like suspenseful element. But then there's this relational one that was just as tense and that you just weren't quite sure if this was going to fall onto something that was very uncomfortable or not. I felt like that was kind of a new angle on this type of a book. But I really was so, so, so invested in these characters. It had a tight sort of organized plot, which if you read much Stephen King, you know that's not always a guarantee. Sometimes you can really tell that he's making it up as he goes along, if you will. Sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Billy Summers felt like a traditional crime or suspense novel where the author has a plan and is now executing the plan in their storytelling. So in that way, it was satisfying and fast-paced, much less meandering or tangents, like there can sometimes be in a King book. But it was for sure a page turner. I really wanted to know what happened. I really cared a lot about these people. And I don't know, this one just surprised me, to be honest, maybe because I had spent the summer reading classic King, which is quite different from contemporary Stephen King. But I just really, really enjoyed Billy Summers. And if this sounds like something you would like, you know, I super recommend it. If you did read 112263 and you enjoyed it, I definitely think you will like Billy Summers. I am sure that you can agree that literally no one wants to smell bad. But sometimes regular underarm deodorant just isn't cutting it. Or maybe it's not your underarms that need help. With Lumi, you don't have to worry. Lumi is the first of its kind in total body deodorant and is fully safe to use anywhere on your body. It is clinically proven to block odor all day and control it for up to 72 hours. The secret is mandelic acid, where instead of masking odor with a fragrance, it stops the odor before it even starts. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben free, as well as pH balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of bright scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off the starter pack. Use code U for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com. That's code U-Y-O-U at Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. 
We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay, so number one was Mexican Gothic. Number two was Billy Summers. Number three is where we are on this list of wow, amazing summer reads. Before I read Billy Summers, I was spending a few days alone at my lake house. And I just devoured a book that I bought on Kindle sale, I think this spring. And before we get all the way into it, I realize as I'm looking at the total of this list of my favorite books of the summer, that all of these books that are four and five star reads for me, they're also all dark. I mean, there is not a light book among the bunch. I mean, Mexican Gothic is sort of silly dark. It's not realistic in any way. And Billy Summers, it's like a crime caper. But just be aware if you aren't already that my taste generally runs dark. I do not like light and fluffy beach reads. I do not like a feel-good book of the year. That's not in my wheelhouse. I do not read to feel heartwarming. But this list is maybe even darker than usual. So I'm sort of giving you that caveat as we continue on. Anyway, the one of this list that kind of comes closest to a beach read, closest to, it's not fluffy, but just like really enjoyable in that it's super fast paced, it has a lot of twists, is Who is Maud Dixon by Alexandra Andrews. Who is Maud Dixon came out in March. It has 336 pages. It is the story of Florence Darrow, a, you know, young 20s wannabe writer who's had sort of a bit of a a lonely life. She works as an assistant at a publishing house. She ends up getting fired from her sort of corporate publishing job and ends up getting hired by a very famous novelist who writes under a pseudonym and is sort of known to be a hermit recluse who kind of lives out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knows her real name. Her pen name is Maud Dixon. And Florence gets a job through this author's agent as her assistant. So she's going to find out who the real person is behind this big best-selling hermit author. This book did not go where I thought it was going to go. I actually, I try not to completely figure out every twist and turn. It's so much more enjoyable to just let yourself float on through and let the author take you on the ride you're meant to be taken on. But you know, those of us who read a lot, it's hard to not like guess in our head what the twist is going to be. This book, I thought I was for sure I knew what the sort of twist was going to be. There's multiple twists, but I really thought I knew where this thing might be going. I was really wrong. (laughs) I was really, really wrong about what happens in this book, Who is Maud Dixon? Where, I think this isn't a spoiler, I think this is such a major part of the book, the author, Maud Dixon, who has a real name that's not that, and Florence, her new assistant, they take a trip to Europe just for some research purposes to kind of get some creative juices flowing, and all sorts of craziness ensues, where you really are unsure who to trust, who is telling the truth about who they are, either author Maud Dixon or new assistant Florence. It just becomes like a suspenseful identity thriller almost, which 
like I said, I thought I knew what one of the major twists was going to be, and I was wrong. It really did surprise me a few different times as this book changed, and I just found myself loving it so much. <laughs> like, it was one of those where you look up and you're like, I'm having the best time reading this, possibly because the twists continued to surprise me, the plot continued to not go where I thought it was going to, but also the writing is fun and light and easy. I mean, that in a positive way, like approachable. It's not a difficult read. It just like flows very well. You're invested in these characters, even though you don't trust like anyone really, but you still, you somehow still sort of like them. Andrews keeps it surprising that way, like keeps it likable, even in like the weirdest of circumstances. So I just really enjoyed this one. It's a great weekend read. I think it would be a really good airplane read, anything where you're trying to sort of pass the time, if you will. Like I said, it came closest to the beach read variety, if that's what you're looking for in this upcoming holiday weekend or sort of as an escapist type of novel. And it's not necessarily the type of book that I usually give five stars to. Now, we could take a whole tangent. I really want to at some point, like analyze everyone's different philosophies on the star rating system and what it means to give a book five stars. And if it has to be a certain caliber of intellect or seriousness, or, you know, if it has to be some, a certain level of literature to make it a five star read, or if we're less stingy with our five star reads and just like, go with the feeling of, I just loved reading this. Five stars, which is kind of my method, but I know other people have like really strong feelings that you should only be giving out like tiny sprinkles of five-star reads and then they have to be like the certain caliber. That is not how my five-star reading goes. I can give five-star reading to like an absolute classic that we'll study till the end of time to a book like this, Who is Maud Dixon? That is a bestseller in a trendy genre with like manufactured twists, if you will. But I just enjoy it so much. And it's also a mood thing. I'm feeling generous with my five stars and also yay reading. You know what I mean? (laughs) I really, I really sometimes get annoyed when people are like so tight-fisted with their five stars. But who is Maud Dixon to me, truthfully, is not something I would normally give five stars to because as I've discussed at length on this show, I don't always love thrillers. I, you know, sometimes they just are so ridiculous to me or something like they just, it's not a genre that to me, I hand out a lot of five stars to. That one is taste, completely taste specific, but this one worked. It just really worked for me. So Who is Maud Dixon by Alexandra Andrews. This next five star read is the opposite of everything I just said. There's nothing beach reedy about it. There is nothing light about it, or I don't want to say there's nothing likable about it. I gave it five stars, but it is, it's a hard one. It's a difficult, difficult book to read. Do not even think about reading this book if you are a sensitive reader, or if you are in a mode, a mood, a time, a season of your life where you cannot handle too much of a book. Because this next one, Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby, it's about the most violent thing that I have read, like in book form, in a while. It is really violent. And violent in a way like like Sons of Anarchy. I've never watched that show in my life. But violent in a way like that, like a, in a TV way, like a super violent show. Think of that. 
That is what Razorblade Tears felt like to me. In fact, it felt very, very cinematic. I could see this being a limited TV series event, if not a movie. And for the most part, reading about violence or reading hard, dark things, for me, just the way I've trained myself, is a lot easier than watching it. I don't like to watch a lot of violence on TV or abuse or really hard themes. Like, I don't usually watch that on a screen. But I have a pretty high tolerance for that in what I read. And even I am saying to you, razor blade tears is gnarly. There's a lot of murder and it's graphic. Razor blade tears came out in July. It has 336 pages. This author was not on my radar, but when I looked him up, I clearly missed out. He had one of the biggest books of the year last year, called Blacktop Wasteland that a ton of people in my feed were saying it was like one of their favorite books of 2020. It won a bunch of awards. And so this was a really anticipated new release, Razorblade Tears. It was an instant bestseller. A lot of people picked this one up this summer. The premise is Buddy and Ike, these older grandpa-aged men. Buddy's a white guy. Ike is a black guy. They are avenging the deaths of their sons who were married. Their sons, Derek and Isaiah, were married with a young child. And this isn't a spoiler. This is like the very beginning of the book. They are killed. And Buddy and Ike, who do not know each other, even though their sons were married, they're basically strangers to one another. They become acquainted and decide, based on both of them having, you know, quite a bit of experience maybe with this in their past, they decide to avenge their sons. So there's some gang activity in this. There is racial stuff in this. There's a lot of father-son relationship themes and like regrets and redemption. This book is very emotional, very intense. And I was just very struck by how well it was written, like how well this story played out, even though the violence was a distraction to me. But the plot was so good. The characters were fantastic. Even the side sort of very smaller characters, I was just really invested. And I felt like Cosby did a good job making you care about just even the peripheral people in this story. I just thought it was super, super well done. It definitely makes you want to go back and read Blacktop Wasteland And of everything on this list, it's the one that I'm most hesitant to recommend just because it's a a lot, you know, the world is a lot right now and people are coping with that by turning to all different kinds of art, of course. But this one was so intense. You know, sometimes you're like, I don't need to feel intense, like fear in my reading material when I'm dealing with low level anxiety about the real world right now. That was one of my hesitations a little bit on Razorblade Tears is that it was hard to separate, you know, to, to kind of regulate your emotions when you're reading something hard and the headlines are hard and all of those things. So take that in mind. But I really thought it was great. You know, this would also be a great recommendation for maybe a husband or a brother or a dad, as long as they'd be okay with the violent aspect of this. I feel like a lot of times we've talked on Instagram some about like, People want to buy gifts for the men in their life. And a lot of what is out there that is sort of bestsellers and maybe what takes over Bookstagram and that kind of thing feels like not quite the right fit. Razorblade Tears might be, this is a complete generality, what I'm saying, but I hope you hear me that this might be, again, with violence and consideration, a book you could gift 
to a male in your life who isn't quite up on what they want to read. Because there is this kind of father-son relational piece throughout that is very, very well done. And it's also just so well written and has a pretty cover. So as far as books are concerned, as a gift, this might be a good one. So that was Razorblade Tears by S.A. Cosby. Okay, last one on my list for best books of the summer. This last one is the only one that I hovered on the rating. Like I actually might have given it four stars on Goodreads, except I should probably change it because as the days went on and the more I thought about it, I maybe should have bumped it up. I mean, it's it's probably four and a half stars. That's where it should have landed. And I tend to round up, but yeah, okay. It might not be a full five-star read for me, but it was a strong, strong four-star read. And that is The Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley Heller. I know you have seen this everywhere. This was like a huge hit book of the summer. Of course, it was partially because it was a Reese's Book Club pick, which makes it a bestseller, which gives it a ton of exposure. A lot of people picked this one up. It was published in July. It's 397 pages. And I kind of hated it for the first quarter. I mean, not not overly hated it because I do not finish books that I'm hating. This is a known value to me. It, it is too short. Life is too short for you to read books that you're not enjoying. Put them down. And I mean this across the board. Even if it's, you know, unless it's like been assigned for work or school or something, you can learn so many things in so many different ways. You can connect to different books from nonfiction to novels to all the things. If you hate a book, put it down. There is no book police that says because you started something, you have to finish it. I know that that's what we learned in elementary school, like in the same way that we learned to share our crayons and treat others how you want to be treated and like all of these but important life philosophies, but one of them that is incredibly misguided across many, many life categories is that you must finish something you've started. It's absolutely not true, people. Quit things. You need to quit things. You need to quit relationships, jobs, and books that suck. You you just need to. So typically, if I'm really not enjoying a book, or even if I'm just lightly not connecting to it, I don't have to have like a deep hatred for it. I'll put it down. That happened to me a few times this summer. I'd like to think I've gotten better at choosing books that I will go ahead and finish. I like them enough to finish, but you can see my full list of meh bestsellers <laughs> over at Secret Stuff to know that's not exactly true. I should probably put down more books than I do, but I always kind of hold out hope that something's going to happen at the end that's going to make it all worth it or something. But the truth is that doesn't always happen. In fact, I would say most of the time, a book is not so much better in the back half to make up for a front half. Here is an exception. The Paper Palace, I found the characters and the plot so unlikable and so distasteful, actually, that the only reason I think I didn't put it down is I did get curious enough about what was happening between our main character, Elle, who is 50 and married with children, and her relationship with her childhood friend that she's known since she was a little kid at their sort of summer house that 
both families owned a summer house. They met there when they were children. A lot of things happened when they were children. Now they are adults, and their relationship is very complicated, to say the least. But you really don't like Elle. She is the things you don't like. (laughs) Entitled, grumpy, deceitful, actually, like not on a super malicious level, but she is. She's deceitful. But also, like many characters that turn out to be super interesting, you relate to it. I mean, I related to all the things I did not like about this main character. And I just, you know, I saw some things in her that I dislike about myself or that seem parallel to my life. I too have dear childhood friends and former loves and whatever that whenever I read books or see movies with that as the kind of trope of revisiting these childhood selves once you're in middle life, like I'm a sucker for that kind of storyline. Like I really like that storyline. I relate to it. And so that's probably why by the end of The Paper Palace, I loved this book after such a rocky start. I just related to Elle. I didn't end up liking her that much more, but it really fleshes out the character by the end. It kind of gives a fuller picture. And so you have compassion for her. And like I said, you just, you can see how she got here, how she got into this complicated situation. And you sort of love who she loves, her childhood relationship and her sweet natured husband. You understand that in some sense, she's just like doing the best that she can. Then we all are. And I just, I felt so much compassion for her. And, uh, you know, I felt like I understood her better by the end of the book. It was really a touching novel. Slight content warning in this book. I mean, it's not a slight. It's a a big part of it. But there is some graphic sexual abuse in The Paper Palace. There's actually a a few different content warnings that this also will not be good for a sensitive reader. There's quite a few. There's a couple of plot points that make this a really difficult read if you're unprepared for them. And they actually like came a little bit out of the blue. So do be aware of that. The abuse is also, it's that's difficult to read anytime, but I felt like these abuse scenes were very difficult to read. So know that. But also, if you are struggling at the beginning of this book, I rarely tell people to push through. And this book is definitely, definitely, definitely not for everyone. But I was glad that I did push through. And my mind really changed on the paper palace. By the end, you know, here it is landing on this list. One of the best things that I read this summer and definitely one of the ones that I'm going to be thinking about. It's a book that stays with you long after you're done reading it, it has that kind of effect. So unlike, you know, some of the other books on this list that are like fast paced, or, you know, had an interesting twist or whatever, The Paper Palace is different. It's quieter. It's middle life. It's choices. Choices is what this book is really about and living with those choices forever. So I know that it's one that I will still be thinking about in a few months. And that's rare, you know, that's rare with books, if you read a lot, those that linger on, like those are standouts, you know, so that's why it ended up the only four star on this list, but it's like a four and a half star. It's right up there. I'm happy to recommend it. So those are my five best books of the summer. And I just realized those are all novels. This almost never happens to me because, you know, I like to mix it up. I like memoir. I like general nonfiction. The two five-star nonfictions that I read, I'm turning them into a book club, like I said. And so I do have nonfiction on my best of the summer 
reads, but it's kind of surprising that my main five-star reads are all novels. And that's not because the novels are better. It's because I realized I'm actually reading less nonfiction right now than I have in a really long time. Memoir is one of my very favorite genres. I haven't turned much to memoir lately. I'm not really sure why, but I'm getting so much pleasure. I'm getting so much fulfillment from reading these really quality, amazing novels. And so I'm so happy to share them with you. And now I'm going to turn it over, turn the mic over to the listeners who sent in their own favorite reads from summer 2021. If you'd like your voice to be a part of the show at some point, I'm often looking for listener voices. So make sure that you're following us on social media at 10 things to tell you, or I always do the first pass of requesting this in the 10 things to tell you connection group on Facebook. Links to all of that in the show notes, which you can always find at 10 things to tell you.com. Thanks for listening to my favorite books of the summer. I would love to hear yours. Please do tell me on social this week. And now let's hear from your fellow listeners. Hi, this is Amber from Long Beach, California. My favorite book from this summer was You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey, Crazy Stories About Racism, written by Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. This book was totally eye-opening, but it was presented in such a humorous way. I suggest it for everyone. Hi, this is Tracy from Boston. One of my favorite books from this summer was What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by the author Aubrey Gordon. This book was not light or easy or necessarily fun to read, but it really opened my eyes to fat shaming and body image and why the BMI as a sole indicator of a person's health is is not really that helpful. So that was What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Aubrey Gordon. Hi, this is Nina Badzen from Minneapolis, and I do the podcast Dear Nina. My favorite book of the summer was The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. It's been a long time since I devoured a novel the way I devoured that one. There's romance, mystery, darkness, but not violence per se, fantasy, and the requirement as a reader to dive into the impossible. It was so good. Hi, my name is Jeannie, and I'm from Minnesota. My favorite book this summer was In the Wild Light, a young adult novel by Jeff Zentner. It's the story of Cash and Delaney, two teenagers from Tennessee who find themselves at an elite boarding school on the East Coast. Uh, While they're there, they have to grapple with grief, with their changing friendship, and Cash discovers a love for poetry. I can't recommend this novel enough. Hi, Laura. This is Trish. My favorite book of the summer was Nervous Conditions by Titi Daragemba. She's a Zimbabwean writer, and this is the first of a trilogy about a young black woman's efforts to get ahead in her culture. I like the book because of the unusual setting, beautiful writing, and serious issues, but also it's darkly funny. Very well done by Daragemba. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jenny from Walla Walla, Washington. And the best book I read this summer is The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins. This book was originally published in serial form in 1859, so each section ends on a great cliffhanger that forces you to keep reading. It truly has it all. Love, murder, family secrets, conspiracies, kidnapping, and spies, all tied to the mysterious Woman in White. 
My name is Rhonda Cunningham. I'm from Westerville, Ohio. My favorite book this summer was Musical Chairs by Amy Papel. This takes place over a summer. Um, a family finds them all at their summer home all together under the same roof for the first time in many years. The story is not only delightful, but it's just it's a funny book. All likable characters. Very enjoyable story. Hi, my name is Megan, and I'm from Virginia. Um, we just moved here this summer. It's kind of weird to say. Um, but my favorite book that I read this summer was The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano by Donna Freitas. And this book just did a really great job of talking about the issues of being a mother and whether deciding to have kids or not. And I just loved how well Donna wrote these issues. So I hope you enjoy it, too. Hi, my name is Katie, and I'm from Wyoming. And the book that I would recommend from this summer is 28 Summers by Ellen Hildebrand. This was the first book that I have read from her, and I just really loved how she brought us into Nantucket and the beach and all the things I miss now that I live out in Wyoming. And I really liked it because this book gave me characters to cheer for and relate to, and I just thought that it was a fabulous read. Hi, this is Tracy from Wilmington, Delaware, and the best book I've read this summer is definitely Misery by Stephen King. I've been a longtime Stephen King fan, but I've stayed away from anything scary or gory or intense, and I joined Laura's Stephen King Summer, and it has definitely pushed me out of my comfort zone this summer, and I have loved it. Thanks, Laura, for pushing me beyond what I was comfortable with. Hi, I'm Amy from San Diego, and I would like to recommend Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. I know this was very popular this summer, and I am not alone, but I just found this story so endearing. The characters were incredible, and I desperately couldn't wait to get to the end to find out what was going to happen and root for a happy ending for everyone involved. It was sweet and wonderful, and I really enjoyed every moment of it. Happy reading! Just listen to the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 Things to Tell You. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you, and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.